All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to 801 Critical Conversations. We're back here again on the pod bar, uh, being joined by another special guest of ours here, and uh, I'm just going to have him introduce himself, so take it away. Hi, uh, my name is Tony Hagopian. I'm the executive director of URTA, the University Resident Theater Association, uh, commonly referred to as URTA. <laughs> Nice, nice. Thank you. Thank you for coming here, Tony. I, I know that, uh, especially right now in the calendar, I'm sure you guys are ramping up and becoming busier and busier. Oh, yeah, especially because uh, yesterday, um, if any of your listeners are um, current candidates or faculty recruiters, they would have received an email um, announcing that we are moving the January uh, auditions and interviews originally planned for New York and Chicago to online only again this year mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah yeah it is very unfortunate to hear but i think in general uh the unfortunate part overall is that our industry seems to be at the moment trending that way uh, yeah as reluctantly as we may be feeling about that yeah it is it is tough but um sometimes you know the decisions are just made for you you know you, there's only so, so far you can bend reality to your will. Right, right, right. The news is, uh, the silver lining maybe, way to put it, um, is, you know, last year we were forced to um, put everything uh, online for the, for the first time, the entire Curtis uh, program. And um, so we have done it before. We learned a great deal from that. And um, that actually was a pretty um, fruitful and successful uh, recruiting event for, for the faculty recruiters and the students as well. So um, we know that it that it can work and, and can still be productive and useful and hopefully will even be better this year um, now that we've done it <laughs> once and learn and, and improve on it, so. Yeah, yeah, you've got that practice run in. And <laughs> uh, but before we get bogged down with, such, with all the sad details so quickly, uh, <laughs> let's think about the happier times. Yes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk, let's talk about the before times a long, long ago. Uh, why don't, why don't you just for our listeners out there, why don't you give us some context as to what, what URTAs is, uh, I know that just us three here, uh, John and Jen certainly have lots of experience with it, but I know that when I was a student, uh, I, I didn't really know much about it. I found out about it kind of after the fact, after I had started grad school. So uh, maybe give us a little bit of history. When did it all start? What's, what is it about? Uh, why should people go for it? Et cetera. Sure, sure. So um, we've been around for uh, over 50 years. And um, in a nutshell, um, what the URTAs, the, the Auditions and Interviews Program, which is sort of our flagship program, um, and the one you know people, people are most familiar with, although we do have a lot of other programs that support our mission of theater training. But um, the auditions and interviews are um, what you might call a consortium audition, um, a recruiting event. So um, we hold it um, in several uh, central locations. Usually it's, it's New York, Chicago, and um, California, either in San Francisco or Los Angeles. Um, students, student candidates can come uh, whether they are looking for an MFA program in acting, design, technology, directing, stage management, arts leadership. Um, they can attend the URTAs and have the chance to meet with 
dozens of programs in their in their discipline um, without having to you know navigate uh, a thousand different um, applications and trips and appointments and auditions and interviews. Um, it, it really is. It wasn't necessarily conceived um, to this end originally 50 years ago, but what it ends up being is really um, in some ways the most accessible way for someone to begin their journey towards finding a grad, a grad program um, because it, it takes a lot of the obstacles and out of the way it streamlines the process for them. It's a one day process uh, for the most part. So, you know, for example, if you're a, um, a design student, um, you come to Chicago, you set up your, um, your portfolio on a table, um, you meet with, uh, with, the, with the recruiters from all these schools on all the same day. Um, and of course, you know, if there are recruiters who are interested in you and uh, want to recruit you for the program, uh, the, that conversation will continue past that, that day. You may have a second interview, they may invite you to the campus to come um, visit, you know, um, that whole sort of courtship continues. But um, it, it really is um, kind of the most effective, productive way to start um, finding a program for you. It's also um, really invaluable. This is more of a intangible, but I think it is in some ways the most important thing about HERTAs for student candidates is there are so many programs um, and they're so different. Uh, and, and when you are, you know, especially if you're, you're a 20 year old, um, 20 year old student, it's the research that you need to do to, to learn about these programs even knowing what questions to ask can be a little daunting, but um, when you come to the URTAs in, in, a, in a single day, you meet with all these recruiters from different places face-to-face -face, and you get to speak with them, it really puts into relief what these different programs are about. You really get a sense of each of them, of their, of their identity, of their personality, of their, their tone, what their focus is, helps you focus your search. Uh, for a program in a way that's really difficult to do behind a computer screen, surfing web pages and reading catalogs. That sums it up really well. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, someone, as someone who attended, you know, uh, I was saying earlier, this is 15 years ago from the recording of this, uh, I was preparing my portfolio for ERTA, um, which led to me going to graduate school uh, and, and choosing a career path. I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know uh, whether I wanted to be a lighting designer or sound person or technical director. And I, the results of ERTA helped me really hone in on my career path. Um, and now I help prepare students for ERTA. Uh, so, you know, I, I also being like 15 years ago, websites aren't what they are now. So I can That's only true. imagine like 50 years ago, what that sort of recruitment and like, I guess, I guess people would write a letter to a campus and be like, can you send me a, a catalog that pretty much mimeograph I, machine, right? Like, I, I, I can speak from experience because um, I, I, I did the ERTAs about 25, six, seven years ago. And um, it was absolutely writing a, a letter or a postcard um, or 
or just picking up the phone, um, there wasn't the internet. Uh, so, um, you know, I don't honestly know how I would have even begun. You know, I did, I did some, some other uh, auditions. I was an actor. Um, I did some other auditions outside of the ERTA process, but, um, you know, it's very expensive. It's even more expensive now. Um, the more time, and it, I mean, the applications are expensive, but also the time is expensive. If you are, you know, if you are a lighting designer or an actor, there may be six, eight, 10 programs that you might be looking at that you want to try to apply for. Um, and if, you know, that if that's 10 separate um, interviews where you're traveling to, to places to, to audition or to present your portfolio or to interview, I mean, it's, it's not really feasible for most, most, you know, candidates. So, um, Erda's really tries to, um, create that access, but, and even more importantly, like really kind of enrich the process for the, for both the candidates and the, and the recruiters as well. So how do you feel that students can be most prepared or, or get the most out of the Erda process? Uh, it was really super intimidating to me. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I sort of coach my students who, who are, you know, about to enter that process. Mm -hmm. uh, Jen comes at it from a different perspective being the, the, the recruiter. Right. But I sort of coach my students not to be so impacted by the, the overwhelmingness of this one day could decide your future. Um, right. but, but how do you, as someone who interacts with, with all of these people, mm -hmm. how do you suggest students uh, get the most out of the, their one day? <laughs> yeah, so I would, I agree with you. I think the first, the fundamental thing is to uh, really uh, let it sink in that one day is not gonna determine your future. Um, if you have a future as a professional theater artist, um, one, whatever happens on one day is not going to uh, end that, <laughs> you know, um, and, and uh, so, so yeah, so let go of, of that kind of, um, of stress and anxiety to the extent that you can. I think the most important, and this really is across all disciplines, um, the most important thing before going to grad school is really trying to identify and understand why you want to go. Because um, this probably the most, I, I think this was a subject in one of your previous episodes, but one of the questions that we get from students when we do um, our sort of outreach sessions, probably the most common question is, how do I know when to go to grad school? Or should I go to grad school? Or how do I, you know, that kind of question. And I, I always say that if you have to know why you're going. And um, because otherwise you're not gonna know what you're looking for. You're not gonna know how to choose a school. You're not gonna, you don't know what you want. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't know what you want, it's, you're probably, it's probably not time for you to go um, because uh, you know it's a it's a pretty intense process and it's a pretty focused and refined process. So um, it, it, the thing that it really demands is someone who knows what they're looking for, what they want. Um, so that you know that always changes, right? You know, that that can change as you learn more about yourself as you develop as an artist. But you have to start from somewhere. So in terms of preparing for the urdas, I think if you've answered that question, you know why you want to go to grad school. Um, 
once you get to the Urdas, uh, especially as a, a design student that where the interview is such a big part of, of the process, um, you're, in, you're gonna be in great shape because you're gonna be able to speak with the recruiters. The recruiter's gonna say, well, why do you wanna go to grad school? And you're gonna be able to talk about that. Um, and they're gonna say, well, our program does this. And you're gonna be able to say, well, I'm looking for this, do you do that? And you're gonna have a productive interaction with them. You're gonna learn things about each other. Um, and that's where the relationships develop and the interest develops. Um, so answering that first question, why do you want to go even before you decide to do the arts? Um, that's going to set you off for success. And then the other things like, you know, do I have enough shows in my portfolio? Do I have enough, um, you know, renderings or, you know, it, you know, I only have one prompt book is tagged, right? You know, all those are things that if you have an undergrad professor, they can, they can help you with or some kind of mentor, but also, you've got to keep in mind, I'm sure Jen can speak to this, Jonathan, you as well. Um, you know, these recruiters are looking for, they're looking for graduate students, but they're looking for students. And they understand that um, you may have just come out of an undergrad program and you may have been in an undergrad program that, um, frankly, wasn't, you know, super well resourced. You know, we're talking about theater departments. Um, they're not always, um, uh, they don't always have a lot of um, funding or resources. So you may um, have, you know, you may have done the lighting design for one show at your undergrad. Um, and that's what you have to show. And you may have assisted at things and worked on, you might have projects and other materials and things that are in your portfolio, but there, no one's expecting you to come to the URTAs with um, a professional resume and an arm full of credits or, you know, things. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, a lot of students, you know, feel that that must be the expectation, um, uh, but it's, re it's really not, you know, the, they, the recruiters know um, where you're coming from and they understand um, the opportunities you've had so far and, and they're seeing what you're about um, and they're looking for people that they can impart some training to. They, you know, the, the other side of that coin is, you know, if a recruiter meets a, a student that seems like they're ready to go light an off-Broadway show. <laughs> you know, they may say, well, why do you need to go to grad school? You just go work, um, you know? So um, it, you should never, as, as a candidate, you shouldn't have, hold a lot of stress or anxiety about um, is what I ha have enough or good enough or, you know, am I presenting it in the quote unquote right way? Um, just know why you're there and be ready to, Present yourself and what you're about as an artist. Um, you know, I think that's the most important thing. I think on this on this note, students don't understand that it's an exchange, right? <laughs> as a recruiter, one of the things I know is I'm also trying to sell myself or my program to you. I'm not. It's not just about the student selling themselves. The student also gets to choose, mm -hmm. right? And, and more, it, probably more so now than ever before. Is the is are the numbers of students at Erda declining or or rising, or is it the number of programs that are out there that has risen? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, the last two years is so anomalous; it's hard to say. Um, sure. We definitely have seen it goes discipline by discipline, area by area. Um, there are some areas that are pretty amazingly consistent from year to year in the numbers. You almost think like 
it's like an algorithm or something. Well, we had exactly 742 actors last year and 741 this whatever it is. Um, but we definitely see um, some areas where there's um, decline. Um, but then, you know, it, a year will surprise you. It'll come back up. I think um, one of the things that at least that we're seeing in recent years before the pandemic is um, scenic design has been an area that we um, started to see a very slow trend of uh, reduction of students. Um, no one really knows why this is. Um, there's speculation that, you know, there's so many other avenues for, for someone who's interested in creating um, uh, environments. You know? So someone who, you know, 30 years ago, um, games, you know, and, and virtual reality and stuff wasn't a thing. So someone whose interest is in sort of creating environments and worlds has this whole, these whole other things that, that might draw their interest. And so, uh, but that's a little, you know, it's kind of speculation. We don't really know. There's also um, uh, what, I, I can't remember what people, what the term is for this, but um, just the reduction in, in births. Um, in America, so you know, undergraduate enrollments are are just are declining generally because there are fewer college age students, um, and so that is starting to reflect itself in the number of um, graduate candidates naturally. Um, but there's still, you know, we still are seeing plenty of of people, and um, you know, we we do also try to. Um, especially in the last few years, we've really had a focus on trying to diversify the pools of candidates, uh, because even if the numbers maintain, um, uh, particularly in certain areas, they're not always especially diverse, which is something we're really trying to figure out how we can jumpstart or, or facilitate. That's interesting because we have, I've had that conversation with our school director about IRTA specifically, mm -hmm. because I've gone around the room and like, just based on what I'm perceiving of mm -hmm. people's race and ethnicity mm -hmm. and gender written mm -hmm. down for him, what I'm seeing at IRTA. And that the reason I'm doing that is not to pick at IRTA. It's actually <laughs> to say to our program, which is located mm -hmm. in this very diverse state, right. we need to do better and be putting undergrads out into IRTA, right? Like, yeah. what yeah. is our problem here? Yeah. And it, you know, it can be difficult too. I mean, there's a nearly, we could, I'm sure you guys probably talked about this. You could do this be a whole podcast series on its own, uh, you know, the diverse diversification of the American theater and how training programs play a role. Um, you know, there's a lot of different forces at play and it's, it's difficult, but it is something we have our eye on and are continuing to try and say, you know, what, what can we do as ERDA? Cause you know, we, we obviously we're, we're, we're this association of these programs, but we're, we don't actually recruit anyone. We don't actually hire anyone. Um, we don't produce plays and things like that. So um, make, it makes our role a, a little more um, ephemeral in that sense, but you know, we're, we're doing what we can. So, so that's, that actually leads me to another question. So you mentioned that everyone sort of thinks about the organization as being end of January in Chicago, New York, and California. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what else is the organization about that we might like uh, educate yeah. about that because 
Sure. Yeah, no. Um, well, you know, it's fun. The, the auditions and interviews, everyone, um, if they know about us, that, that's what they know, because so many people have been through that process. You know, I think after 50 years, I think we, we tried to estimate something like 75,000 people or something that have been through the URDAs. Um, you, so we, you know, in, in the American theater, you either did the URDAs or you know somebody that did the URDAs, <laughs> you know, at some point. Um, so that's certainly our most well-known, but um, our mission is to support um, professional training in the theater arts, in the American theater. And so um, another one of our very large programs is um, the Artist Engagement Service, which is a nonprofit uh, paymaster service. Um, facil facilitates the hiring of professional artists at um, originally uh, created for university theaters, but now branched out to a lot of other sorts of institutions, but institutions that um, have a lot of barriers to, to engaging professional artists, whether it be um, the contracting or, um, you know, payroll execution or any of these other sort of administrative um, uh, managerial problems. Uh, that program, our program, we step in as a middleman, we're able to facilitate these. So, we do in that that program um, in normal times. Uh, I, I think we we work with uh, over 200 productions a year, um, uh, over 100 um, different institutions, most of them universities. Um, probably a thousand theater artists are paid through our service. Something the last uh, the last. Pre-pandemic year, I think it was over two million dollars in um, artist earnings that uh, were paid through us, and a lot of those productions wouldn't wouldn't be able to happen without our, our service, just because of the, the red tape or the bureaucracy involved. So that's a big one. Um, that's amazing. I like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that so very much not on. I think the average theater person's radar, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of our programs, they serve um, a, a wide range of people, but that, you know, that that niche of, of, of people. And so if you if you aren't using that service, you may not, you know, you may see the, another facet of it and just not know. Um, we have a lot of other education programs that we've been trying to build out over the last few years. Um, continuing education, which has always, um, taking place at, at the URDAs where there's workshops and, and panel discussions and things like that that uh, you guys have, have been part of. Um, and we try to do those more throughout the year across the country um, and career outreach sessions where we go to um, undergraduate classes or um, intern or apprenticeship programs or um, places where there are young professionals or pre-professionals and we try to have talks like this about um, professional training and how to approach um, a career and how to, uh, you know, where to go, how to start, what to, you know, answer a lot of those questions of like, should I go to grad school? How do I know when? Um, so um, we do a lot of that stuff. Um, and, um, you know, we have some other programs as well, but uh, we, they're all centered on the mission of supporting professional training. It seems like you're very involved in the community, like at, at different levels, or or at least you're, you're trying to be. Yeah, uh, 
it's it's obviously a big country to kind of <laughs> Spain. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and obviously, I, I would think that the the primary attendee, the the primary potential graduate candidate, are students, right? Right off, right out of undergrad. But you're also uh, you also see non-student candidates as well, people yeah, that yeah. have already hit the work field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the at least the plurality of our candidates have just finished undergraduate. Um, uh, sorry, my cat is causing a ruckus over here. Um, yeah, the so probably at least a plur plurality or maybe majority, depending on the year, are, are right out of undergrad going to grad school. Um, but a big chunk of them um, are have been out for a few years, um, um, trying to work trying to see, you know, what they can um, build um, as an artist bef before going on to that next level of training. And then um, we do uh, have sometimes, just, you know, working professionals that are ready to, to go back for master level training. Um, maybe they want to teach um, and get an MFA, um, that kind of thing. A lot of those candidates are, are really, it's desirable. You know, sometimes it's funny because there can often be a disconnect between the concerns that candidates have about themselves and, and the reality of for the recruiter. Um, so a lot of times we'll get older candidates who have, who have been out of school and have been working and they say, oh, I'm too old. No grad school is going to want me. You know, I, I'm, I'm already kind of established myself and, you know, I'm too far. Advanced. And, you know, meanwhile, a lot of the programs are telling us where are those like, you know, candidates who have been out working for a while, you know, like, no, that's exactly what they'd like to see. Uh, so, um, so we get a pretty wide uh, variety in terms of that, in terms of experience, age, um, and schools like to see that variety. Um, I think even within their programs, they like a good mix, especially if it's a program that has, um, you know, several students in each class. Um, I think most Jen probably speak to this, but I think most programs find it valuable to have a real mix between the students of different um, levels of experience or background and age and things like that. I could only imagine, I, I'm kind of envisioning this this funny picture of, of both styles of candidates. You've got the, the student that's just right out of undergrad and, you know, just nervous about this overwhelming day and uh, the experience that he or she is trying to gain. Uh, and then you've got the potentially older candidate of like, how the hell do I set up this table? Like I haven't done this since I was in school. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's exactly uh, right. Like, here's my that's resume. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I sort of tangential to this and also going back to what we were speaking about earlier. Um, you know, with the only, the only requirement for taking part in the artist is that you have to be, um, um, eligible to attend graduate school uh, because that's what you're there for. Um, and really that just means that you've completed an undergraduate degree in most cases, but that degree does not even have to be a theater degree. Um, we have a lot of students that have BS or, you know, have majored in things like math or, or history or, you know, sciences or things. Um, you know, some of them have, have done theater or drama in while they were school even though they were majored in something else but some of them not so much um you know it's an interest that they develop 
after they graduated or while they were in school, but they never got to fill it. Some of those are the most successful candidates too. So um, again, you know, if you have a really clear idea about why you want to go and what you are looking for, that can trump um, a, a lack of experience or extensive resume or things like that. Tony, uh, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the R and T of the acronym here, mm -hmm. yeah. resident mm -hmm. theater, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I get the university association and we've talked a lot about that, but resident theater, at, at least to, to me, to the outsider would kind of, I almost kind of think of Lort theaters. Yeah. Know? Well, it's interesting. Okay. If you're ready to go into the weeds, I <laughs> this sort of came to be. So it's, um, it's difficult for us, um, to, to imagine this world, but in 1969, when the, um, the founders of URTA were coming together, there wasn't a regional theater. Um, there was Broadway and then Broadway short shows would tour at presenting houses. And that's how people in the rest of the country would see theater pretty much. And, you know, there might be like local troops, like what we would call now like community theater and stuff like that, but there wasn't professional regional theater network in the country. Was just starting the Lort system, I think was born about the same time as us. Um, and so the two founders, the two main founders, it's funny because I've read some of their like actual correspondence at the time. It's really weird to go to see it now in the world we live in, but they wanted to expand. They wanted to create a regional theater system, a system of professional regional theaters. Um, and Lort was just kind of like seedling at the time. And, and one of them had written to the other, you know, they were very dubious about, <laughs> about, it, about if it would succeed. Um, they, but the one said something effective, you know, even if they are successful in, in bringing um, professional resident uh, theater to these places like Minneapolis or Indianapolis, what about people in, um, in the smaller towns? And, and, you know, what about people in, um, I don't know, whatever the next cities, you know, down from, from those areas would be. Um, so they, what they believed was that the universe, universities were everywhere. Um, you know, every community of a certain size um, had a university or was fairly close, to, physically, regionally close to one. And that um, many of the university theater departments um, were very high uh, caliber and we're beginning to experiment with creating theater companies within themselves. Um, one of the founders um, was the head of the theater program at University of Utah, and he created the Pioneer Theater, which is now a Lord Theater there. Um, but it was at the time um, the resident theater at the University of Utah. And so their idea was to create university resident theaters. And that was how they were going to build a regional theater throughout, throughout America. Um, and so the vestiges of that, some of the, a lot of, a lot of those theaters st still exist. You think of um, Playmakers Rep at University of North Carolina, um, Kansas City Rep at UMKC. That's kind of the model. Now, those are Lord theaters now, but they're resident in universities. They are part and parcel with those institutions. Um, and so that's how, that's how we began. Uh, our association were um, theaters that were resident at universities. That's a, that's a great history lesson <laughs> there. 
that's wild that that's so cool <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, you know, it's much different now. And so it's something, you know, we, we actually were about to embark on a, a strategic plan right before the pandemic. <laughs> it's been a little bit tabled now because it's hard to know what the landscape is. But um, one of the questions we had was sort of to, to re-look um, at this um, founding mission, uh, because obviously, you know, our mission today is not to build a regional theater network. Um, and um, what it means to be a, a a theater resident and a university is very different now. So um, that was something we kind of wanted to, to re-examine and see what parts of that were pertinent for today and you know how, how can we refine it in that part of our, our literally our name, but our, our mission into you know, some clearer um, goals and things. Yeah. Tony, I'm now gonna take that history lesson and use it as a segue to now that we've learned about your past, let's learn about your future. Mm. Uh, throughout this conversation, you've hit upon some interesting points that, because of how we were uh, kind of casually talking about it, are in, in reality are, are a very big deal right now. You know, we, uh, it, it's so interesting how now we're pretty much two years in and the word pandemic just is just so common in our vocabulary now, and it's mm -hmm. just something we accept. Uh, but not only just that, you've talked about looking into diversifying your pool of candidates. Uh, you talked about just now, uh, pre-pandemic, you were just looking into kind of renovating that that the the Erda mission. You know, as you said, you're no you're no longer that we, the country, the industry are no longer about that regional theater circuit. So what, what is the, the new version of that, you know, revamping that. And uh, it's, it's, I think every organization, university, uh, conferences, uh, even, even myself as a, as a roadhouse, um, uh, we're, we're all kind of going through our versions of the, uh, of those struggles and kind of contemplating the same thing like how do we do it so without revealing any secrets that you may need to keep to yourself <laughs> uh any trade secrets but uh again it's it's no secret that our industry has kind of um i think it's almost putting it mildly has kind of revolted a bit in this in this past two years and maybe not revolt revolt kind of sounds too negative but they've had their time to reflect Mm -hmm. And they have made their reflections very verbal, and and the end result has been kind of demonstrating a generational gap, uh, a cultural gap, uh, a, a big gap industry wide within ourselves, and an internal industry gap of of those that produce and those that actually are on the ground doing the work, and the gaps are are kind of spread out, right? So. What, uh, what, what is it that you can share that, that Erda's, what are their, what are your two cents to, to try to correct any number of things? There's yeah. certainly plenty to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as I said, our challenge is, you know, where we sit in the firmament of things, because, um, you know, we don't, um, get to recruit artists uh, or students directly. Um, we don't, we don't uh, produce shows and hire theater artists and things like that. So, um, and we don't really even, you know, we're an association of schools, but we don't, you know, we, IRTA doesn't necessarily 
have some kind of like a governing authority over our, our member schools and things like that. So, so what, you know, what's our role? That's, um, that's the, our first challenge to identify. But I think um, because our auditions and interviews have been around for so many years and, is, and, and serves so many programs uh, and, and so many students are recruited through it, I think obviously that is um, the place where we can start. Um, you know, the, the more diversity we can bring to the candidates at that event, that just helps, you know, people like Jen that have more people to choose from and more ability to find can all different kinds of candidates. So how can we do that has been our question actually for the last several years now. Um, uh, it's definitely something I've been working on since I've been the executive director for about four years now and even predates me. Um, you know, so we've been working on a lot of it seems like low hanging fruit, but um, you know, reducing the barriers of access to our our process, the ERTA process. Um, you know, we used for for the first forty years um, of ERTAs, there was um, screening auditions. A lot of consortium, uh, other consortium uh, auditions uh, for schools still have this process where. Um, you know, you have to you have to either on site or at some regional location perform a screening audition, and then some I don't know tribunal or something like decides if you get to go to the to the artist. <laughs> you know, so for for forty years we I I did that when I was a, a candidate, and um, um, it, it just at a certain point just seemed so archaic and so um, silly uh, because you know it was like. You know, who was it serving and what purpose was it serving? Um, I think, you know, not to, I don't want to get too anachronistic in my criticisms of past, uh, <laughs> you know, or, but, um, you know, I think, or, you know, structures like that, and there's other, I could probably think of a bunch of other ones too, but um, they weren't put in place to serve, certainly <laughs> to serve students or even programs, but I think they were just there to um, reinforce uh, an elite identity of, of the institutions, like we're so selective, arbitrarily, you know, so that makes our program more, um, more um, attractive, right? Because you wanna go to a program that's selective, but it's just, but it's just arbitrary in practice um, because well, who, what, you, what are you selecting, you know? So like in, for example, with the URTAs, you know, you would we would screen out a third of the candidates that would come to the URTAs, and um, at a certain point, you know, recruiters and and URTA administration were saying, well, not that it's not that we don't have time to see those candidates, so why would you you know wouldn't you want to see them? So it, those kind of things become they almost seem crazy now. We ever did that, you know, that like the time turns and you think. What were, what were we doing? So there's, um, so what we're trying to do now is find ways for more people to access be, the, the actual editions because obviously in the, typically his, how we do it historically is that we're at these three um, central sites. So there is a cost to traveling there. Um, even though it's one day, we, you know, we have, it, there's been times where um, the organization has explored, you know, shouldn't we have a conference and we can offer more. Um, but the sense that, it's, that it is one day 
um, is really important that we've decided to try and maintain for students um, that they, you know, even if they do have to travel, that they don't have to go somewhere for a, a week vacation or something, you know. Um, but even traveling um, can be difficult, especially if they, if you are from somewhere far away from one of those sites. So um, we have been exploring just the structure of the auditions. We've started awards programs to um, uh, waive the registration fees, which um, is, seems like a small thing, but for some students, it's a huge thing. Um, you know, depending on on who you are and where you're attending, the registration could be as much. Is your travel costs. Um, so um, we've been expanding the awards program every year for the last several years. Um, this year, knock on wood, because I don't have our final registration numbers, and especially since we're moving online, but this year, um, between the various awards programs we have, we've been able to give a candidate award, is what we call free registration, to every candidate that has sought one. Um, so if um, any candidate that's that's reached out um, either through our Pay It Forward program um, or one of the other programs. Um, we've been able, um, we've been, so far, we've been able to give um, free registration. So that, that you know, is, feels like incremental progress. Um, that's really big. That's congrats on that. That's really yeah. huge. Um, and we, you know, like I said, with it, probably the bigger thing, and this is going to take us a, a, a little more time in the pandemic, is in some ways set us back and in some ways set us forward in this, but the structure of the audition. So um, we, what we're doing in Los Angeles this year, hopefully this still happens <laughs> um, with the pandemic, but uh, so Cal State Fullerton is graciously hosting us um, for two days of um, acting auditions for the artists there in January. Um, the students will be there in person, live, in the studio provided by Cal State Fullerton that has um, a very solid um, foundation of production values there. So the cameras, the lighting, sound will all be um, to a, a, a solid professional level and the same for everyone. Um, and it'll be, they'll be auditioning live and the recruiters are remote. So, um, it allows um, the recruiters to attend an extra event because it, this is another challenge. It's a ceiling to the number of places that we can send recruiters to. But um, we're providing this baseline of production value for the students. Um, this was an interesting thing that we learned um, doing the IRTAs online last year, particularly in acting, um, but to a certain degree, the other um, disciplines as well. We thought, you know, boy, it's sort of disappointing that we have to move everything online, but hey, maybe this will create a lot of access for students that wouldn't normally be able to take part. And so we were looking forward to um, having some new faces and, and seeing how that played out. Um, and on a few, in a few individual instances, that was the case. We had some international students that wouldn't have normally taken part. Um, but overall, um, the net went the other way. So um, what we discovered, and I think a lot of um, schools and education centers and universities discovered this as well with remote learning, was that um, travel was not always the biggest impediment. Sometimes doing it from your home on whatever resource, you know, uh, electronic resources you have 
sometimes that's the bigger obstacle. So, um, you know, we had um, candidates, some candidates struggle with, you know, great, I'm doing this remotely. I don't have to travel, but I don't have any place to do it. I don't have a phone that has a good enough camera. I don't have any light. I'm in a, I'm in a dorm room with five other people, or, you know, I live at home with my parents and my little brother, or so, you know. Um, so that was um, something we discovered. Um, wow, oh, that, that's an obstacle that um, you know, we didn't adequately um, conceive. So, we're, so then it's you know, trying to thread the needle and have as many options as possible is really where we're at right now. So this hybrid event in Los Angeles, um, we're hoping that um, can be one, an answer for some candidates. Um, even before we moved online this year, we, we were offering online um, auditions and interviews in every discipline. So we had um, two or three days that were set aside for the online artists. So that if you, um, even though we were planning to be in person, if you if that was not possible for you, we were still going to have the online option. So we've also talked about um, uh, with some of the um, historical black colleges in the southeast of maybe hosting us for um, different events throughout different times of the year. So fall sometimes is better for certain schools and certain students. So what we're trying to do is um, re-examine our structural barriers and, and do that not by recreating the URTAs in some way that's going to satisfy every, the needs of all because that's not possible. So what we're trying to do is find um, more options, more ways to access the URTA instead of just, you know, you come to Chicago, maybe it's you go to Atlanta in November, or maybe we come to you in, um, you know, Southern California sometime, you know. So it's been difficult the past two years of the pandemic because obviously um, we're restricted <laughs> in a lot of our visioning in that respect, but that is kind of our, our our central focus in that in that realm is how do we restructure the event for that the most people can take part. It almost seems that what you may potentially be viewing as a disadvantage to URTAs as far as like the fact that you don't have a, a governing body or you don't recruit or anything like that. It's it's almost an advantage in itself. Just the the fact that you go out into the community and you get to see hey, what's the Southeast doing? What's the West Coast doing? What's the Northeast doing? And uh, you kind of become the, 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 the modern day telegram here. And like, hey, did you, <laughs> did you hear what this school was doing on the other side? Maybe you guys yeah. should check it out and, or that's interesting. Or Yeah, and that, you know, that's something too, I guess I should, it, it's worth speaking about. Um, as an association, this goes back to really our roots as a, you know, networking. Um, for our member schools and other schools um, to say, you know, just that those processing, just those kinds of things, um, you know, what, what are the best practices here? What has this school learned? You know, what approach is going on there? Um, and it's been particularly helpful in the last year. We had a couple of um, uh, Zoom town halls last summer for um, schools and theaters to check in with each other to say, you know, how are you coping with this? Or, have you come against come up against this? And um, you know, there's a lot of that happens informally at the URTAs with recruiters who get, you know, maybe see each other only once a year, you know, 
may teach in Texas and someone else teaches in uh, you know, Massachusetts and you see them once a year at the Erdas and you get to you know, catch up on well, what's happening in your, your department. Oh, you don't, you don't, your BFA program now is taken, you know, primary focus or, you know, whatever it is. So there's, there's a lot of that that we kind of facilitate too that I think is an important part. Yeah, and, that, and that facilitation, especially like nowadays via all these zoom calls is uh, <laughs> it's just it's just spreading the word you know and that's that's great yeah. that's great yeah. you're spreading I, the education i think i think what you're describing is amazing and i wish uh the the students can can like frame it differently than i framed it when when, <laughs> when i was a student because it was it was so intimidating to me i it just felt so uncomfortable and I can only imagine how other people uh, build up that that day in January, right? So, um, yeah, this might be required listening for future students tonight. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know that there's any getting around that, though. Yeah. Like that's just, yeah. you know, because what, what I know that you have not had the joy of experiencing John is like, those are three really grueling recruiting days or three and a half or I don't know in Chicago in January, which I like to complain about all the time. Um, <laughs> but at the end of this journey, that's just step one to the journey. At the end of this journey is the, the students who you're giving them the opportunity to come to your program and you're giving them an assistantship and, and tuition and everything. And they're screaming and crying on the other end of the phone as you tell them. Right. So like the student wants to be the screaming, crying student who gets the opportunity. So they're just all in the beginning going to be real intense about it. I don't think there's any getting past that. Yeah. Yeah. Good screams, good tears, of course. Yeah. The, yes. Yes. Yeah. These are literal like the students that I brought in, like deafening me and crying on the phone and, you know, all the things. And it's, it's the greatest joy of my whole year period it doesn't start well when i'm freezing in chicago but <laughs> well. but but i think that's another like really good point for for any students listening the fact that you know uh it's work for the recruiters too and putting together a class that's cohesive and is gonna succeed in in the area within the program within the school times however many programs in schools etc 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 i mean that's a lot of work on the faculty's side and, and that was never something that i thought of as an undergraduate student right like the fact that recruiting is hard for the faculty it, it always seemed like well whatever there's all these people lining up to talk to me <laughs> right 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 yeah it's intimidating it's intimidating yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like a long, grueling day on both ends, you know, whether you're the student or the recruiter. Yeah, just to, especially yeah. because we try to keep it <laughs> to that one day. So, right. um, you know, sometimes there are um, candidates and, and recruiters that are in the design hall, you know, eight o'clock at night. You know, they started eight o'clock in the morning. We have breaks and stuff, of course, but, um, you know, there may be someone still getting an interview, you know. 8 8 30 so it can be a long day yeah yeah smiling for that long takes a lot of, <laughs> takes a lot of energy uh I can imagine being an actor as we begin to kind of yeah 
as we begin to kind of wind down here, uh, definitely like to give you the spotlight here of, of what, what uh, I guess to, to, to both groups, let's tackle it from both sides. Like what words of encouragement as the executive director here to Erdas do you give those potential candidates that are coming your way? Uh, as well as uh, what advice do you give the programs that are actively recruiting that you've you've been able to see in your travels, uh, your your even your Zoom travels nowadays uh, yeah. that you've seen from other programs. Um, well, for the students, uh, you know, I would say, yeah, Jen's right. You're never gonna. You, there's no getting around. You know, the excitement and the intensity um, of of the recruiting process. But but do try to stay calm and relaxed. Um, because if you know why you're, why you're there and what you're looking for, you're gonna do all right. And, um, and, and one day is not gonna determine your life. Um, if, if you're meant to be a, you know, a theater artist, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna find your way in. Um, uh, be prepared, know what you want. If, if you have any, um, uh, mentor or, or teacher that's available to you, you know, make use of whoever, whatever support system you have um, to help, to help you prepare. Um, and just, you know, know what you're about as an artist. Um, and that will, you know, that also gives you the confidence um, that regardless of how, how your recruiting day goes, um, you, you know, to, to have that self-knowledge will, carry you through. Um, you know, I think for schools, um, I would say, um, you know, they really, for the most part, they, they really do sort of, lack of a better expression, you know, turn over every rock. I mean, they are, they want to see every candidate that they can, um, you know, um, for the most part, um, if, a, if a school doesn't, you know, interview a candidate um, in their particular design area or discipline, it's usually because of some, some sort of like, like empirical reason, like, you know, well, our school requires a GPA of a minimum of blah, 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 and the, you know, the person just doesn't have the GPA or something that's out of everyone's control. But for the most part, um, most, I find that most um, recruiters really wanna at least talk to every candidate they can because you just never know who you're gonna meet. You can look at someone's portfolio, especially if you're looking at it just online, um, can tell you a lot. You can look at someone's pre-recorded audition tape, but it's when you really meet the people um, and are able to speak to them, you just, you're often really surprised. Um, so I think most faculty are, you know, know that they've been doing this. It's very competitive. They're trying to find whoever they can, um, but, you know, it, it can be exhausting. And so sometimes, you know, that is something working against, you know, there are just people and, you know, it's like, oh, the third grueling day. Um, and I would say just, you know, extra cup of coffee or Gatorade, whatever it is, because, um, the, you know, your, your, you know, star student might be the last person on the third day or something. So, you know, just try to pace yourself and, <laughs> and, and, and see everyone you need to. What what a what truly a great way to kind of end this episode here of just highlighting 
highlighting that human connection, which mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that is the foundation of our craft of what we do of our of yeah. our industry in in arts and culture is just connecting with our fellow human mm -hmm. uh so that's that's a great way to end this uh tony if we flip it on you and give you advice i would just say continue spreading that good word you <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's tough because uh as as long as we've been around and as many people in the american theater that sort of know of us we have to reintroduce ourselves every year to a new uh, crop of students who are just, you know, either juniors or seniors in, in undergrad or, or otherwise looking to grad school for the first time and may amazingly not know about us yet. But um, we, you know, we, we, we try. And so thank you guys so much because this is exactly the kind of opportunity that's so valuable for us to help get that word out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be now. This episode is now going to live for the ages. Uh, so <laughs> could be required listening, as John said, for future students uh, and buy you some much needed time, especially right now as you begin to pivot yet again uh, in, in your upcoming auditions and interviews. Uh, so, best of luck with all that, Tony. I know it's not easy out there. I certainly can sympathize with you there. Uh, but uh, like you said, you got that first practice run in uh, reluctantly so last year. And yes. so hopefully it's going to make things better this year. So, uh, but more importantly, Tony, really, I just want to say thank you for your time. Truly, uh, I, you're going through all this and you're still able to, to grace us with your time. So uh, I, I definitely feel very fortunate for that and lucky to have you here. Thank you. Very welcome. Thanks. All. Thank, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, to the to the rest of our listeners out there, uh, I'm sure we will post uh, some of Tony's contact info with this episode and uh, open up those floodgates for <laughs> for Tony to receive all of his fan mail that's awaiting him. <laughs> uh, so thank you all to everybody listening. Stay tuned for the next episode, and good night. All right, welcome everyone to our next last call session here uh, with, as usual, another special guest. Uh, so we'll start off as we always do with an intro, Bill. Hi, uh, my name is Bill Dignite. I am the current production manager of LDI, uh, uh, Live Design International Conference and Trade Show in Las Vegas and the department head of uh, theater and dance at Northern Michigan University. Thank you, Bill, for being with us. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we, we like to end these last call sessions with, uh, what, with a little intro to the next episode, which you're gonna do for us. But as a little bit of a warm up, I'd uh, like to put you through our very famous lightning round here. Uh, so what it is, is 10 questions. Simple rule is answer with no thinking. Uh, so whatever comes to mind first, there'll be a little mix of uh, fun and more work-related type things. So uh, you ready for that? I'm excited. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. So uh, we, we, we like to ramp up and start off easy here. Uh, what is your favorite animal? I'm going to have to say a dog. dog? I, I'm a, I love dogs. <laughs> so, so, so simple. So plain. Uh, what was, when did you have your first job? At what age? 
Uh, my first job was at a neighbor's construction company. My dad would drive me down there when I was like 12 and I'd pick up lumber. I don't know if I got paid or not, but I, I definitely did that. I think I just got a wagon full of wood to like mess around in the backyard with. You've been hustling ever since. Oh, yeah. Since 12 years old. Uh, okay. Because of where we're at in current times, uh, bring us back to a couple years ago. And where were you when COVID hit? I had just gotten back from uh, Uptas uh, down in uh, Kentucky. And I... Um, Memphis and uh, I came back and I was sitting in a meeting with the provost of my university and got an emergency alert that school was closing and then we had to leave campus and that was fun and then we left <laughs> and and it took a long time to come back yeah yeah so that's a great welcome back um, okay uh, you you are a superhero now and you get to choose your own superpower what is it uh, to, to spread kindness. My, my superpower is kindness. Wow. Flower power. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Favorite game. Oh, that would have to be risk. That's a good classic one. Okay. Uh, you and I have shared many of these and now you're at our pod bar. So give us your favorite drink. Oh, uh, that, if anybody knows me or seen me, it's a Jack and Coke. I'm pretty simple UP yeah, boy these pretty days. Classic, pretty classic, man. Uh, also, tis the season, football season uh, going on. High stakes right now. What is your favorite football team? Who do you cheer for? I mean, I'm a diehard Detroit Lions fan till we win. Never. <laughs> but I believe. Got to have faith. If we're consistent, if there's one thing, we're consistent, baby. We're consistent. Good for you. Uh, favorite job? Uh, I truly love the job that I'm in now, working in um, academic and institutional innovation at Northern Michigan University. It's the best job I think I've ever had. All right. So, last question to round us off. Based on that answer, I don't know how you're going to answer here, but uh, what is your dream job for when you grow up? Well, my dream job, I think, actually is to continue evolving in the innovation um, collaboration space and seeing where that takes me. And so I don't know what my dream job is yet, but I am assimilating skills to be ready for it whenever that comes. Yet to come, yet to come. Cool. All right. Well, you survived. Congrats, Bill. Thanks. That was a little nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> Another lightning round survivor here. Uh, we'll, we'll add in the sound effect of applause later on. Uh, so, uh, moving on to the real reason why we got you here on the last call. Uh, you're here to, you, you've actually brought the next episode to us. So, uh, we, we owe you for this one. So, uh, why don't you let everybody else know what it's about? I am just so excited to be having the 801 team, uh, joining, uh, Erda's 2022 and the LDI uh, session, Take Your Career Beyond Backstage. And it focuses on um, current students and our industry uh, colleagues of finding technical careers outside of the traditional four walls of theater. And 
I think we're anybody that's going to tune in and subscribe to that next episode is going to just really be enlightened by uh, how massive our industry is and all the wild things that are happening and, and how you can find success um, using the skill sets we all have and are, are learning uh, and apply them into so many different uh, verticals within entertainment and production in the world today. So subscribe, join 801. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, uh, date and time is uh, next Wednesday, right? Uh, yeah, so January 26 at 3 p.m. Uh, I believe that we can drop the Zoom link maybe on your guys' uh, social media channels. Um, uh, we'll sneak you in. And uh, if you want to tune in live and listen to the uh, 801 crew and, and see some faces because uh, you'll see us. That's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and students will be there. So students, faculty, anyone's invited. Interactive discussion. It's going to be great. Uh, and, and it'll be what the people in the room can make it. And, and it will hopefully have some honest, authentic uh, communication between uh, lots of different colleagues and, and future makers within our industry. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Bill. And uh, it, you're right. It's it's really whatever the the attendees uh, make it. Uh, so the, the way we've laid it out is is very dependent on the attendees. So please come check us out. To all our listeners, uh, hit us up, and yeah, you'll get to see. Do do our voices match our face? Uh, that's always a big curiosity. Uh, but thank you all. Look forward to seeing our listeners out there at this Erta session and uh, stay tuned for that next episode. Thank you again, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me. See you next week.